Welcome to the Swim Swam Podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, he is a world champion, world championship medalist, and above all, he's a swim nerd. He knows numbers, he knows stats, and he knows swimming. He currently is a commentator for FINA, and most recently, he won two days of the 2020 Olympic Pick'em Contest on Swim Swam today. We have the pleasure of sitting down with Bobby Hurley. How's Let's it going? it up, Coleman. Let's nerd it up. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to sit down. And chat with you let's we we have to start with that olympic pick'em uh we were going to get you on sooner our schedules never never quite lined up but you're here now so let's take it back to those olympic games uh how are you so smart you won two days of our pick'em contest i mean and that is no small feat um t- tell me about how how you make your guesses and predictions as a swim nerd and what you saw coming into these games well, it's all that um, relevant news that Swim Swam feeds us swim nerds every single day, I think. So um, I'm one of those guys that, that wakes up and, and uh, goes straight to that website and, and look at all the headlines and, and read, you know, the interesting articles and get all the up-to-date facts. But um, I guess for myself, um, I'm just a really big fan of, of international swimming, of, of high-quality, um, elite-level swimming. Um, you know, on the biggest stage, so world championships, Olympics, um, and everything that goes with that as well. So I just love looking at what the other swimmers from other countries are doing. So not only just, obviously, I've got one hand in in the camp with the Australian team, and, and I know a lot of those swimmers and, and I coach some of those swimmers as well. Um, and then with my experiences as a as a swimmer traveling around the world as well, I've, I know a lot of coaches and, and clubs and swimmers over in the U.S., um, I've got ties with some of those South African swimmers and, and just got to know a lot of people from Europe and Asia around the place as well. So I'm just one of those guys, probably like yourself, that that tracks all, all the competitions going on at any one time. And, and it's just good, um, especially this year when, when we didn't have any of those, um, you know, really, really competitive international meets for, for the better part of two years since, um, since the Korean world champs um, to see everybody come together and, and race. But um, you know, I, I think I was pretty lucky and pretty fortunate to, to win two of the of the days in the Pickham contest, but I, I didn't fare as well overall because I just think this Olympics was was wild. Um, I, I knew it was going to be really tough to pick coming in um, with with every country and every swimmer going through their their different sort of COVID protocols, and, and you don't know who was affected more than some others and and how the travel was going to be, uh, was going to affect them going into Tokyo. And, and um, we saw a lot of surprises and a lot of probably um, um, champions and, and former champions go down, which we haven't seen before, which, um, which uh, made it an Olympic for the ages. I think one that we'll, we'll definitely remember. Absolutely. Uh, what do you, do you remember the two specific days you won or, or what picks really set you out on those two days? Oh, I'm not sure. Hmm. I'm not sure what days I won, actually. I'm pretty sure 
from memory, the women's turn of freestyle, I was, I was pretty confident that, um, that, that Ariane Titmus could, could win and that, um, Siobhan Jorge was going to have a big, a big meet and a big, uh, Olympic games, which she did, um, in those, that 200 and 100 freestyle. Um, um, she'd just been swimming really well the last couple of years and, and sort of have that Michigan connection with, with them, um, going back a few years as well. And, and she looks like somebody who, who steps up under pressure and, and delivers on the biggest stage through her through her college career and and um, the same can be said for Maggie McNeil obviously the, the training partners there at, at Michigan so um, there was there was some confidence in that pick but um, and then Penny Alexiak uh, I think another sort of champion in that in that status that you know they're going to produce their best in the biggest moment and um, and with with Ledecky as well I, I don't know too much about her. Um, except from what I see online and, and read, but the 200 was probably going to be the one that that got the least of her training focus and was the one that she was um, probably going to struggle in the most, which which turned out to be true. So I think I got lucky on that one, but but definitely day one I got I got hammered. Like I thought I was uh, out of the competition after um, Seto didn't make the 400 IM final. Um, Katinka bombed out in that one as well, um, being the world record holder. And when's the last time we saw? Katinka Hoshu get defeated in a in an individual medley race in the last what I don't know five six seven eight years um, it just doesn't happen and then um, the men's 400 freestyle well well nobody got that right with uh, with Hafnui from Tunisia winning out of lane eight either yeah I think day one pretty much bombed everyone's pick <laughs> uh, but but you know every, everyone seemed to or some people seemed to bounce back at least after that. Um, overall, looking at the meet, obviously you mentioned there were some surprises. Um, was, were there a few that stood out to you? Not necessarily just the times that people went, but the performances that certain athletes put up and what this could mean for them moving forward? Um, well, I'll start by saying <laughs> the Australian team did amazingly well. Um, obviously the whole world can see that, but you know, especially in these Olympic years, we, we've always gone in with so many hot favourites and, and people expected to bring home gold. And, and obviously we're coming off a fast trials, which is what we've seen before. Um, and, I, and I think that the word coming out of the American camp was that you guys probably weren't expecting the Australian team to, to do as well as we did. But um, I think on this occasion, um, you know, the trials were held five weeks before the Olympic Games. Um, which is the first time we've done that, which which that's made a huge difference now. And, and it seems so obvious, but forever in our history, we always had our trials in March or April. And there's just so much that can go wrong um, in those four months leading into the major meet. And, um, you know, I remember when, when James Magnuson went 47-1 um, at the trials in 2012 and was virtually untouchable. I think I remember reading something from, from Nathan Adrian um, whose PB at the time was like 48 points, 48 low. And, and he, he, Nathan made the shift in his training to go, well, I need to go 47 low to win now. He's not aiming for 47 high or 47 mid. He's aiming for 47 low. And, and he had four months to train for that and practice for that. And, um, and we all know what happened in that race. So this time around, I think, um, you know, Australia also didn't have very far to travel to Tokyo. Um, it's a direct flight, I think eight hours, no time change, or maybe a one hour time difference and no jet lag to deal with there. And, um, you know, 
Kayla McEwen, world record in the 100 backstroke at the trials. Titmus doing her thing in those freestyle events. And um, and Emma McKeon, Kate Campbell, always going to be a force to be reckoned with. And, and Stability Cook, you know, coming in as world number one. So we pretty much converted all of those into gold medals. Um, the relays did well as well. Um, I think the one that we probably missed a little bit was was Elijah Winnington in the 400 freestyle. Um, he's definitely capable and we'll see what he can do in the next couple of years and um, and the women's 4 by 200 as well. But but it was just probably a, a couple of Olympic periods in the, in the waiting where, where Australia finally delivered when it mattered. So, so that was definitely good to see for for those swimmers and, and for the country as a whole. Um, and then, I mean, in talking about the other sort of the upsets and, and new stars coming through, um, you know, I've probably um, like everybody expected Lily King to, to go there and, and do her business, you know, and, and win. And, and um, you know, she, she's a tough competitor and, and likes to talk it up. And, and in the end, she got beat by, by her own teenage teammate that I'd never heard of um Jacoby before and and in a time where where Lily King can throw down 104s um you know pretty regularly and then um and and Sean Maker beating her in the 200 meters as well which which I think Lily King did a really good time to go to go 219 but um um I didn't expect Sean Maker to to swim so well and to break a world record as well that's that's a huge achievement for coming out of South Africa and, and that training environment as well so that was a big breakout. And then obviously we mentioned half Nui from Tunisia was, that was a pretty wild men's 400 freestyle. And that 400 free is one of my, well, probably my favorite event as well. So I love watching that and, and seeing what that has to offer. Um, and it's just a good race. You know, that was anybody's race. So all eight guys could have won that race. Um, and the guy, you know, coming in eight ends up winning that one. Um, 343, it's a, a little bit slow you probably could say that about a couple of races but there's there's a multitude of factors behind that but um i think him him or or kieran smith or or winnington there's got to be a couple guys that need to take that back into the 341s and 340s over the next couple years which will which will be exciting to see in that race you know i think in that race in particular you had a lot of guys with a lot of inexperience on the international stage, you know, I think the silver medalist, Jack McLaughlin, he, he, he'd been in that final a couple times, but not, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was everyone's first Olympic final. Uh, oh, wow. And in, in that event, at least. And so, you know, it's like, the, I think everyone went out pretty conservative. I think everyone was probably a little more toasted than they wanted to be on that back half. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just seemed like everyone was kind of playing it safe. Uh, yeah, I think uh, over the course of the week, on those uh, 400s, um, 400s especially, actually, when it was heats into finals, you know, nighttime heats to morning finals, it was, that's a pretty tough turnaround. And, and the heats were fast, you know, like the men's point at home heats were, were fast to go through. But then you look at the podium times and it's not not anything um, um, too flash. But I think in that men's point of freestyle, like somebody just needed to go in and, and dominate that race, you know, but have the the mantra and the confidence to come in and, and just own that. You know, like we've seen, obviously, Sun Yang just has dominated that one previously um, for a long time. And, and guys like, um, like if Mac Horton was there, he got third at the trials going 343, like he wasn't far away. Yeah. But if Mac was in that final, 
I think he dominates that race and he wins and, and he goes back to back. You know, he couldn't get he couldn't get past the trials in that event. But um, somebody with that aura or with that um, self belief and confidence would have really could have grabbed that race by the by the you know by the scruff of the neck and and won that one pretty handily. I think. Agreed. Yeah, I, th- I think if if there would have been a more veteran presence, like you said, mm. could 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 have made it pretty easy. Um, yeah yeah so so those are your takeaways from the olympics um and now you know we didn't even get a break here at swim swim because the isl started (laughs) three weeks after um and and we're kind of in the midst of it um just just from you know scrolling the numbers scrolling the stats obviously there's a lot to scroll there's a lot of events in isl that's its whole thing um what have you seen from the those competitions so far and what do you think we might see moving forward um it looks fun at the moment that's that's the main thing that we're seeing is um i mean i don't know how much commercial revenue they're making or or how much um, viewership they're getting but from from my point of view i look at it and go man i wish i was still swimming and I, and I wish I could compete there and, and um, in, in different points of my career, that would have been the funnest thing in the world to join an international team and, and compete um, against other teams and live in a city with, with other swimmers. You're sort of just living and breathing, swimming 24 seven, you know? Um, so that looks good. And, and I think the fact that it's short course has given these guys a, a bit of a break um, coming off that long course that, you know, that extra year of Olympic prep. So they're all, they're all fit and, and have the training under their belt, but I don't think many of them, especially these bigger name Olympic stars, um, would have done much training since Tokyo. Um, so it's going to take them a little while to, to build up their time, you know. Um, the race is the race, and, and that's what the general person is, is watching. Um, for, for people like me and you, maybe, we might go look at some of these times and and um, want to want to shut your eyes and, and hide yourself from the truth, but um, that'll be, pick up, and that I think that'll get faster, definitely towards November and December when the the semifinals and, and the finals are on, and, and just gives everyone a couple more months to train and and um, and get race fit again. But in saying that, what we saw Dressel throw down a couple of days ago, like this early on. Um, 48 in the fly and 45.4 in the 100 freestyle, you know, only a few tenths off his TV and obviously only a few tenths off the world record as well. Um, I just think that's, that's incredible. There's no way he did any proper training since Tokyo I, in, in my head. Um, I don't <laughs> think. And he, the other thing that impresses me is his, his mindset going in that he wants to attack these races and go absolute max hundred percent nail his start, you know, not breathe the last 15 metres into the finish like he does when he's already so far ahead. Like, the time doesn't mean that much. Like, he could just cruise through and just win these races and get points for his team. But he just he just seems like an absolute killer. Um, he's doing a ISL, and, you know, that's why he got three individual gold medals at the Olympic Games as well. He's, um, he's just uh, keeps on delivering, you know. I, that was – you were saying, oh, the times are – you know, mediocre. We're kind of, I think we'll, we'll see him. I agree with you hundred percent, but I was going to bring up Dressel being the exception um, as he is in a lot of cases. Because, um, yeah. Oh, do we think the same? We think the same. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his, his, 
we've never seen him and, and uh, we even got to talk to him a little bit after one of the matches and, you know, he's never hopped into racing this soon after a major international meet after an Olympics or world championships or something like that. And so we didn't really know what to expect, but then the first match he, he threw down very respectable times. And then, yeah, his second match, it's just like, Holy shit, yeah. you're half a second from the world record from the 2009 <laughs> suited world record in the hundred yeah. free, you know, you're 20.6, 20.8 in the 50, like yeah. you said, 48 in the, it's like, dude. <laughs> yeah. On, yeah. on what we think is probably not that much training, but we, we also know from talking to him that he just lays a huge foundation of, of base, um, of base work during his, his normal training and i'm sure with the extra olympic year of training troy probably just buried him uh and so <laughs> <laughs> so like it's it, the florida type <laughs> the florida type is just kicking in he, right like he's 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 probably yeah. just just hitting hitting his taper right now you know <laughs> from the olympics uh well i so. heard um i got this story from from 2012 maybe some americans can can back it up a bit but uh, World Shore Course was in December that year, um, and and Lochte came out and just annihilated everybody in every event, you know, like he did peak Lochte short course breaking world records, and apparently he did no training. Again, this is coming out of that Florida base, but no training from Olympics, let's say August to December, like no until they, until they went to staying camp before the meet, and um, and you know. He, I think it was 100 IM world record, 200 IM, um, 200 back, relays, everything. And he was throwing his heels in the crowd and, like, hair down to his shoulders, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, those Florida guys probably train so hard that after the major meet's done, they, they're not touching the water, you know. I, that I, – I, I obviously can't back that up. That makes sense to me, though, you know. It's especially <laughs> after – um 2012 was supposed to be you know his olympics after after mm. phelps had had his eight gold medal run and and lochte i'm sure by his standards did not live up to that he had a good olymp you know he medaled in a few different of in three different events i think um three individuals he he won five medals i want to say you know it's like he had yeah successful olympics i'm sure he got a lot of media attention after that and and soaked in the Olympic glow that fall. And, uh, mm. you know, guessing, yeah, he, he probably trained a little bit, but, you know, didn't, didn't actually do, uh, Troy, Troy, real Troy work, but, uh, you know, with that dude, especially he, I'm sure he just, uh, does aerobic work out, out the, out the ass. And so he, he, can, <laughs> he can, he can probably hold his taper for five months. Um, the thing with the ISL, I look back and go, um, man, how good, how valuable would Lockie have been in the ISL? You know, every relay, um, you know, the, the 200 meter races or Phelps or, you know, Cogwin in a peak and um, how valuable these, these versatile um, swimmers with, with speed and can do relays up to 200s, 400s, how good they could have been on, on the ISL. But it'll be interesting to see the, I guess, the, the longevity of the league and how I think swimmers and coaches to, to fully support it, they need to start factoring in this, this racing part of the year into a training program, you know, 
And uh, I've been listening to a couple of podcasts and stuff, but there, there's there's some speed gains and some some training gains to be made to do this, you know, high intensity um, short course racing off a major off a competition. You know, it, it might have even been better in in future if they they run the ISO like one week after the Olympics or the World Championships. And I'm pretty sure that's what they do at Diamond League um, with the track and field. And, and you see some a lot more world records go down in Diamond League than than um, at the World Champs. Well, well, not world records, but but fast times, you know. So um, we'll see what happens, you know. It's going to be exciting. Uh, I, I really like that idea. And I think it, sh- it should be a- factored into a part, right? I mean, it's so hard to get into, to dig your fingers into the culture of like, okay, you have your one big, international meet of world championships and obviously especially olympics or euros or whatever it is but i think we they've done this before especially with world cups how you have world championships and then a week later you you go to a world cup and you swim and people go really fast and go best times and break world records and uh i think that would that would add a lot of value and and uh like you said, just kind of keep the momentum going for, for, from a fan standpoint, from a, from a growing the sports standpoint of just like, okay, we just had this huge world championship meet. Now we're going to move right into uh, more swimming, you know, and yeah. keep your attention and, and give you, give you all the stars doing their thing again. Um, and it's been nice to see like a, from the American standpoint, at least, you know, we had a lot of people who didn't make the Olympic team, obviously, as you always do. And we, and now we're seeing a lot of them prep for ISL and get ready for it. Mm. And then these first few matches, see, we've seen them have a lot of success and do really well uh, because, because they did include that in their training cycle. And they're like, okay, this is my next focus. And so if we can, like you said, if, if the longevity of the league can stay if it can be maintained it would be really nice to see more and more people do that especially those so that our stars you know our top top swimmers really buy into that and say okay i'm going to focus on this now yeah yeah I, I agree with that and um i think this year especially coming off olympic year is when we'll see those non-olympic stars um just make a bigger name for themselves obviously coleman stewart breaking that 100 backstroke world record is, is the one that springs to mind. Like, like that's insane. And, you know, if he, um, there's potential this guy didn't even continue swimming after Olympic trials if there was no ISL to, to go for, you know, we, we don't know what his, his plans would have been. Um, you know, Justin Ress is another guy that, that springs to mind that's going to have a good season. And, and even on the Australian side, like, um, like Maddie Wilson's going to be a really valuable swimmer on the ISL and she's been on Olympic teams and she's in relays and stuff, but she can be a real individual star in, in a lot of races um, through a short course sort of format like this. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, who's taken this as a professional and taken this more and more serious. Um, we know like Tom Shields is going to do his thing and, and Dressel's going to do his thing. Um, and there's a lot of other swimmers that, you know, Lily King's going to be very tough to beat in, in any distance, but just these newer names coming in to assert themselves um, on, on international swimming. And that's the best way to get experience for it too. But I, I think the league will want to down the line, like really 
obviously we can't now with, with COVID and everything, but really base these teams permanently in these cities. So you could go, well, okay, I, I swim for DC Tridents. Um, I'm from Australia. Uh, I'm going to do, you know, world champs, fly over there, train in America for a couple of months, race around Europe, race around the world, and just use that as a secondary like base before coming back to Australia, say in January or February when, when our season, our summer season sort of kicks off again, you know, and that'll be, that'll be really fun. That'll be really cool. You know, then, then I think people will start to be, feeling like they're living the life of a professional swimmer, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's been, you know, tossed around with the league. Obviously it's a big financial step, um, but I do think it is, you know, if the league is going to continue, if it's, we're going to maintain it, um, it's a step that had to, has to be taken at some point um, because yeah, right now it's like, okay, they're from New York, but they have like no ties to New York, mm. you know, it's like, it, you know, or any team, right. Any team, it's the same, the Cali Condors, it's like, well, their, their GM lives in California, I guess, but you know, it's like <laughs> half the team does not, yeah. you know, is, isn't yeah. from there. There's no training base. And so um, energy standard, was really the only team with anything close to that um, with, with the energy standard training club, but it would be really cool to see, to see pro training bases of swimming. I feel like that's when you really know that, you know, your sport is a legitimate professional entity. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's when, um, I mean, I experienced a bit of that, that when I went to the U S um, and trained at, at Michigan, um, you know, I never seen like a pro group of 20, um, you know, 20 to 30 on the women's team and, and probably 30 on the men's team. You got like close to 100 swimmers, um, not, not all pros, but, but definitely high-level swimmers all working together with, with multiple coaches and gym coaches and training times and different pools. Like that was a big setup. And then um, in 2017, I was lucky enough to spend time at Energy, Chan- at Energy, Energy Standard sorry, with, um, with Chad LeCloe and Cameron Vandenberg and, and um, and training in that base in Turkey, which just had like a five-star hotel attached to, you know, amazing outdoor facilities in, in the European summer. And, and that's when, um, you know, Ben Prowse there training, Sarah Sostrom, um, Romanchuk and, and the distance guys from Ukraine doing their thing and Relov and Kolesnikov doing their thing on the backstroke. And it's like, wow, this is a, this is a really like world leading club right now. Like if, if you're a, if you're a swimmer, um, probably not from America or Australia, um, that's definitely on your list to, to get on that because that's where you're getting the best facilities, the best coaching and the best training environment to, um, to get the most out of yourself, you know. So the more we can offer that to, to the best swimmers in the world, the, the level of world-class swimming um, as a whole is, is just going to rise up again. So, so tell me a little bit about that. I mean, cause that sounds like a really unique opportunity, a really cool one. How did, how did you end up coaching uh, Chad and Cameron in 2017? Yeah, it was, it was a really um, weird situation actually. Um, I've been friends with Chad for a long time, um, just traveling on the world cup circuit together, probably from about 2012 to, to 2016, doing, doing all those world cups together every year. And, um, and had a bit of a friendship with, with Cameron Vandenberg along the way um, as well. And, and they're both, I think the South Africans and the Aussies get along really well. And um, there's the same sort of 
I guess, vibe there between us, pretty relaxed and joking. And we're into the same sports and into the same um, TV shows and movies and stuff. So we always seem to get along. And um, off the back of 2016, um, I was about, oh, I was about 28 years old and um, we're still swimming the World Cup and still doing pretty good. Um, but it was definitely, I'd, I'd missed the Olympics that year again. So I was definitely starting to look at um, what I'm doing with my swimming career and, and start to figure out life after swimming a little bit. And um, Chad was coming off probably a, um, a disappointing Olympics by, by his standards, um, he would say at the time. And um, we're just having some, probably some pretty deep and meaningful chats along, along the way. Nothing, nothing concrete or nothing set in stone um, with him and his dad. And then on the last cluster, I remember we flew to um, Singapore um, I flew from Sydney out to Singapore and on the flight, I got this um, infection in my shoulder. So in a nerve in my shoulder. So I'd caught the infection on the flight or, or traveling somehow. So I flew to Singapore for the last cluster of the World Cup. So I think I was coming third overall um, and doing pretty well. And then woke up the next day and um, I couldn't lift my, I could lift my right arm to here to grab my seatbelt in the car. And I had no strength to pull the seatbelt across my shoulder and put it down. Like I couldn't lift my arm overhead and just lost so much strength um, in that. And, and it took a couple of weeks for, for the doctors and the physios to actually figure out what was going on. But, but on that exact day, um, Chad actually pulled me aside and said, I want to have a serious conversation with you, um, um, which I had no idea what, was that, what that was about. Um, and that's on that day that, you know, I ended up getting a, a very serious injury. He, he said that he wanted to invite me to be his coach um, in Cape Town. Um, so they were going to leave Durban and move to Cape Town. And, and Cameron was going to leave um, Joburg and, and move to Cape Town. They're going to start a club and um, to travel around the world and, and coach them for the, for the future. And at that point, um, I was like, well, the way my shoulder's feeling right now, I think I'm about done um, and I want to be a coach in the future. Um, you know, I had no attachments or, or no dependence um, back in Australia at the time. And I said, why not? Like, um, give me a couple of months to finish off uh, World Short Course and whatever else we had in the rest of the year. And, and by the 1st of January, I think I flew to Cape Town and, and, um, and we started that journey. But uh, I'm, now I'm just mesmerized. How, I mean, to, let's can we can we continue that story? How did it, how did that all that go? Um, yeah, so so I was with Chad um, January to August 2017, um, and Chad and Cameron and had um, Danny Murray in the open water as well, um, who raced at World Championships that year. So that was just a big um, for me. No formal um, coaching at that point. 28 years old. Um, was just trying to use any sort of experience and, and um, you know, all, all the stuff that I'd learned from, from different coaches all around the world to, to um, do my best you know, coaching these two, two guys, these two champions, Olympic champions in their own right. Um, Andre Danino um, was the head coach of, of Chad. So he was like a mentor to me. So we were chatting multiple times a day and, and um, Andre was teaching me so much and he's such a professional where, um, everything had to be perfect and exact and, and every, every session had to be logged down and every time had to be written in. So the communication between us um, 
was was a real strong point that season. Um, but basically, we were writing the sessions together, and, and Andrea was, um, I guess, mentoring me to to write the sessions and the training program. Um, but I was the one delivering the sessions for Chad um, up until the point about six weeks out from World Champs. Then then Andrea took over um, more more um, more full time from that point. Um, but I had um, Cameron as well, so you know he's a couple months older than me at that time. So Cameron was probably 28, 29 um you know coming off three olympics so he was definitely um at the point where he was figuring out when when is the time to retire from him but he still had so much speed and, and such a strength base behind him and he got married that year and um they had a honeymoon and stuff so there's with cameron there was a lot of interruptions to to training and um um not a lot of consistency but but when he was there um he was putting in 100 percent energy and and doing a great job um, at whatever the session was, regardless of his times or, or how fast he was going. So um, I was with them, yeah, for that that eight month period, and we did, you know, we did Man Austrians that year. We went to Italy for a training camp with Energy Standard. We went in and out of Turkey probably uh, three or four times um, in that period as well, back to Cape Town. So it was just a you know, and, and nine months of, of travel and, and learning and experiencing with them. And, and um, you know, to sum it up, I guess Cameron won. Um, he won the man Ostrom overall um, and then went to world champs and, and did a PB in his 50 breaststroke um, to get third in that race. So I think that was his, uh, I want to say, sixth medal in a row in the 50 breaststroke at a world championship level. Um, but I was pretty proud to to help him get a PB um, at that point in his career. And, and his old PB was was the world record as well, um, was the former world record. So um, to get some to get a guy like that to do his best ever swim um, is something that I'm pretty proud of. And, and Chad, um, you know, he was just on a massive redemption year um, off 2016 and was at that point was really going to do whatever it takes and, and swim through a brick wall to win. So um, he won world champs in Budapest, which was, which was an awesome moment, just just getting the touch ahead of Laszlo. So that that atmosphere and that crowd was something I'll never forget. And and that's probably the first time we saw Chad go out, start going out like 53 low in the 200 fly, you know, that fly and die strategy. So that was fun to, I guess, be in the inner circle and, and see what he's actually thinking and feeling and, and you know, what his mindset is going in. Um, and then, he, then Chad won the World Cup Tour overall um, after that as well. So... Um, I'm pretty proud how, um, as a pretty young and inexperienced coach, was just able to help those guys get the best out of their career at that point in time. You know, they're obviously champions and they can race and they know how to handle themselves. Um, but but it sort of went without any major hitches, uh, without any major um, things going wrong. You know, so I guess that's as good as I could have done. Yeah, I mean, uh, coming off of an experience like that. Um, did you, did you want to keep coaching? Well, actually, um, going back to that, that period of time where I was with energy standard and, and, um, you know, I got to know James Gibson pretty well there as well. So, um, was learning a lot from him and, and looking at his workouts and his practices. And, and that's actually the point in time, um, where I wanted to come back and swim again. You know, mm. I was looking at what James was giving sort of, um, Ben proud and, and some of his swimmers that he had. And then what looking at how Cameron was swimming so well 
of such little training and and Cameron was uh, older than me and there were a lot of older guys on, on that team and, and how much fun Chad was having too. Um, my shoulder started feeling better. So I actually wanted to, to come back. So I, I left um, in August of that year after World Champs um, and gave myself six months to try and make the uh, the Commonwealth Games team for Australia in 2018. Um, so they sort of reignited my passion to, to swim and compete and, and get back in the water again, um, which I did, but but I sucked really bad. <laughs> I didn't even make the final at, at our trials, which um, which I was quite embarrassed about at the time, but it was probably a good, um, it was a pretty clear decision for me then to to retire from, from swimming for good. Um, uh, my body definitely wasn't able to, to train and, and race at, at the way it had previously had done and, and definitely would need it more time to to heal and recover and, and get stronger again but um at that point i felt like i had a coaching career ready to go so are you still coaching now or what did you continue to coach after that yeah i, I went straight into um into full-time coaching um at loretta normanhurst which is a um a girls high school um in sydney where i'm still at now so i've been here about three and a half years um so i went into you know from, from that level of swimming into a, a pretty um, low-level club program, school program that we've had to build up, um, which we've done in, in New South Wales pretty strongly. So, so the club's getting bigger in size and, and starting to attract more swimmers and, and more teenage swimmers to, to come in and, and, um, and be committed, competitive swimmers, you know, which is, which is what I want to do and, and what I want to help people achieve. And, and I had one older sprinter, um, Will Yang, go, have a good, pretty good couple of years. Uh, he won the 50 flight World Uni Games in 2019. Um, so I was pretty, um, was very proud of, of him with that achievement. And he's, he's won a few national titles um, and he was fifth in the 100 backstroke at, at Olympic trials this year, just, just missed making the team there. But um, um, he's been fun to, to coach and, and again, learn from um, over the last few years too. That's, that's, that's pretty exciting. To have to have a from a high school program to you know almost making an Olympic team, World University Games champion. That's that's good. Yeah, stuff. he's uh, he came when he he came to me when he was nineteen. So Will's twenty two now, but um, okay. you know within that first sort of period, that first eight, twelve to eighteen months that he came, he, he made some big improvements. So that definitely gave me some uh, some confidence in. The, I guess the, the programming that I'm doing and the things that I've learned um, are, are transferable from someone like Cameron Vandenberg to, to another um, younger uh, sprinter um, and gives me confidence that um, I can make a career out of this, I guess. <laughs> well, it seems like you've done an all right job so far. <laughs> <laughs> I will say in that time, we've had two kids as well. So that's oh, definitely wow. been the uh, the, the hardest uh, thing, um, you know, juggling family life with, with work life and, and time away from home and, and sleep and all those things, but, um, but super rewarding as well. Um, but yeah, doing that, kicking off my coaching career, um, probably on a, on a pretty high level as well and, and uh, with a lot more pressure than, than most people start off with um, and, and starting a family too, but it's, uh, it's been a pretty wild ride so far it sounds like a wild ride it sounds like the ride's still going well though uh but I, bobby i could i could listen to you tell stories all day all night for you 
Um, so, so we're just going to have to bring you back on the podcast. Um, so we can, we can get some more stories, but, uh, it's, it's been, it's, it's been really lovely getting to sit down and chat with you and just nerd it up and, and hear your stories because you've, you've really, you've seen it all. Of course. Um, I mean, I listen to all your, all your podcasts, so it's good to, to get to know you a little bit more and chat and, and whenever your, um, your, your guest list is running low, just give me a call and we can talk about some swimming. Absolutely, man. I, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Cool. Thanks, Coleman. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.